0: show that our top advisors have less branches, but in the bottom end, they want more branches.
1: We're looking at branch hours. We're looking at branch rationalization. CRM integration, partnership with the branches, and all that comes from an integrated technology solution.
2: You know, we talk about the value of insurance. We're writing a lot of loans in the last 18 months. You know, you're writing a mortgage and you're giving somebody 30 years worth of debt. You want to make sure they can pay that debt if it passively happens in the family.
1: Uh, whole life and AD&D Business has essentially doubled in the last 12 months.
0: And oh, by the way, when they
1: had their meeting, the customer never told them about that account, but
0: they
2: put it into the aggregation tool because they wanted to see their score. You know, it, it's a great space to be in for a community bank right now. There's a lot of market disruption going on with some of the bigger companies in the area. I think when big decisions
0: like investments, retirements, insurance, people want a throat to choke, you know, if something goes wrong.
3: Hello, and welcome to BISA Industry Trend Watch Podcast. Good to have you with us today. Industry Trend Watch is a monthly series with industry leaders discussing trends in the financial institutions channel. Productivity trending is provided by our bankchannelresearch.com portal an interactive tool that reports on channel performance based on data collected monthly from over 50 financial institutions. This month, we are joined by Jonathan Allen of Westcom, Jim Ferry of ESSA Bank & Trust, and Jim Nonengard of Regions Bank. In addition to industry trends, this episode dives into strategic issues such as reassessing advisor branch coverage, critical 2021 initiatives, the importance of servicing the protection need, and the ESG investing trend. But first, we'd like to thank Ameriprise for making these podcasts possible. And as a show of appreciation, let's please listen to this brief message. We will then turn it over to Jana Capaletti, the creator of BankChannelResearch.com, who will kick us off with a trending overview.
4: This is Chris Melton, National Director of the Ameriprise Financial Institutions Group. Ameriprise Financial Institution Group is a proud sponsor of the BISA Monthly Industry Trending Podcast Series. With more than 25 years of experience and knowledge in serving the investment program needs of local banks and credit unions, Ameriprise Financial Institution Group brings a depth of understanding as well as investment capabilities to help clients and members feel more confident, connected, and in control of their financial life. We look forward to learning more about your financial institution and sharing how a successful investment program can be a competitive advantage. Call us at 800-679-1237 or visit us at ameriprise.com slash AFIG. Securities offered by Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, member FINRA, and SIPC. Not federally insured, no financial institution guarantee, may lose value. Thank you.
5: This is Janet Cappelletti, the Managing Director of Research for Status Partners and the creator of bankchannelresearch.com, Here to provide the highlights from the first quarter of the long-awaited year 2021. Despite the turmoil that began last spring, productivity has maintained a healthy growth rate of almost 10% compared to Q1 2020. This is not a case of the new normal. This is just normal, which is good for the bank channel. In the first quarter of 2021, household revenue penetration was up 8% year-over-year, and the average monthly FC revenue climbed 9% a quarterly record of $44,000 per month, fueled by January's record production of $49,000 per rep, more than half of which was generated by managed money fees. For a more impressive comparison, FC productivity has shot up 20% since the first quarter of 2019. Deposit revenue penetration, our usual go-to metric for overall program success, casts a somewhat deceiving negative light on 2021 year-over-year comparisons as retail deposits swelled in 2020, but retail households remain a relatively consistent denominator. Based on household revenue penetration, total transactional revenue was relatively stable year-to-year, while fixed annuities climbed 7% and VAs increased 4%. There was a 10% drop in mutual fund revenue, and the gains in annuity production were offset by a 40% slump in alternative products, these stocks and bonds, market-linked CDs, but managed money fees grew 28% compared to the first quarter of 2020. Of less impact, annualized life insurance revenue sank to less than $1 per retail household and accounted for less than 2% of total revenue in the first quarter. I'd like to thank LPL and Infinec for providing much of the important data needed for this analysis. And now I'd like to hand it over to Scott and Bob.
6: Hello, and welcome to this episode of the BISA Trend Watch podcast, where each month we discuss industry trends and strategic initiatives that are improving program performance. I am Scott Stathis. I will be your host, along with Bob Mattel. This podcast is jointly produced by BISA and Stathis Mattel, and our sponsoring partner is the Ameriprise Financial Institutions Group, who we have the good fortune of working with. So we are joined today by three industry leaders who will each introduce themselves momentarily. But first, I'd like to let our co-host, Bob Mattel, introduce himself. Bob will then pass the baton around for the others to introduce themselves. So, Bob, take it away.
7: Well, hello. I am Bob Mattel, and hello to all of our listeners, and welcome to the BISA Trend Watch. Believe it or not, this is now our 10th episode of BISA Trend Watch. And let's go around the table and uh, introduce each person. Jonathan Allen.
1: Thanks, Bob. Glad to be here. Uh, Jonathan Allen, I'm the president of Westcom Financial Services, soon to be Westcom Wealth Management. That's a wholly owned subsidiary of Westcom Credit Union. We're a $5 billion credit union out here in California based in Pasadena. And um, a little bit about our program. We have uh, 18 advisors, uh, roughly 45 licensed bankers. We manage about a billion five. In total assets under administration, and we generate about eight and a half million in revenue. Thanks, Bob.
2: Thank you. Jim Ferry. Good morning. Jim Ferry, ESSA Bank and Trust. We're a community bank based in uh, northeastern Pennsylvania with 22 full service branches, about $1.9 billion in assets, and $1.5 billion in deposits. Uh, we have a managed program with the mayor prize. We have about $250 million under administration five advisors, uh, two licensed branch employees, and we cover the Pocono Mountains, uh, the Lehigh Valley, and in Philadelphia.
7: All right. Well, thanks so much. We also have with us Jim nonengard from Regions Bank.
0: Good morning, Bob. Uh, Jim Nonningard with uh, Regions Investment Services, division of Regions Bank, about $145 billion regional bank in the Southeast, uh, a little over 250 financial advisors and a little over. 2300 uh, licensed bankers. Uh, we have in investment services, which I head up, a little over $13 billion in assets under management right now. Thanks for having me.
7: Thanks for joining us, all three of you. And we've got both the East Coast, the West Coast, and a big bank right smack in the middle. So without any further ado,
6: Scott, why don't we kick it off? All right. And yes, yeah, talking about the West Coast. Thanks. Thanks, John, for uh, getting up in the wee hours of the morning to record this at seven o'clock or so in uh, in California. So we appreciate you being you being here. So I, I want to ask you guys a question, and maybe John, you can kick us off um, by by leading off with with your thoughts on this. But it's you know it's based on the the trending that we monitor in the industry, and we took a hit when the pandemic first started, but man, we've been on a tear since. So we, we've we seen basically three straight quarters of impressive growth, especially if we look at advisor productivity specifically. Quarter after quarter, their growth has been very impressive. Obviously, we have a tailwind because the market's been doing well, but there's more to it than than just that. So John, what I'd, what I'd like you to kick us off with is let us know how what I just mentioned syncs up with what you've experienced, A, and then B, um, also, give us your thoughts on what you are anticipating for the second quarter now that we are into the second quarter. John?
1: Sure. So our results have been very consistent with um, some of the trending that you've reported on. We, we somewhat flatlined second, third quarter. And uh, then the results that we had in the fourth quarter coincided with really advisor reentry. So like a lot of investment programs, uh, financial advisors exited the offices. We started to introduce the advisors back into the offices in the late summer of 2020. Uh, we're certainly glad 2020 is behind us. And I think uh, immediately thereafter, as we saw the pipeline start to build with referral activity, we saw a strong fourth quarter. And then first quarter of 2021 was a record for our organization. So um, we were thrilled about that. And within the credit union space, we also track invested dollars. Obviously, uh, we run off of the P&L and uh, look very closely at the revenue trends but we also track our invested dollars in that activity as well so that somewhat was flat in the second and third quarter and then picked up in fourth quarter then of course had a record first quarter and we're seeing that trend continue i think part of that is as california uh, has started to open back up uh, we've seen the branch traffic improve and therefore our partners within the branches are re-engaging, of course, uh, that's leading to strong referral activity, which was also a record quarter for us. So I expect this trend to continue in the second quarter.
6: Yeah, and I think it, it, it's helping that the country is almost fully opening back up again, at least across the course of this this summer. So, uh you know, more more power to that. <laughs> We're all welcome that. So, Jim Ferry, how about you? What uh, what have you experienced in the the last three quarters, and how did the uh, first quarter of this year look like? And what are your what are your thoughts for the second quarter? Thank you.
2: Um, just to echo some of the thoughts that John had. You know, we too have been somewhat you know shut down, if you will, with uh, branch traffic and and customer activity the last you know three quarters. But we've leaned on the the virtual platforms, Teams meetings, Zoom meetings with our clients, uh really encouraging that virtual, uh virtual sessions to to grow and and deepen those relationships. We've also seen some some nice growth and trending, and new asset acquisition has been really one of the successes we've had. Uh we also measure internal transfers out of the bank, and uh that was at an all-time low the last quarter, and yet our revenue and and Dollars coming into the program were up, um, so we're gathering assets outside of the bank, which is always a good thing for us. And uh, we're getting back to normal in Pennsylvania. Uh, June first, we're going to have uh, full capacity back to normal operations. So we anticipate, you know, that third quarter to do a lot of uh, customer outreach, a lot of customer events, uh, you know, FaceTime with customers, if you will, in the lobbies to generate some interest, um, and then continue to leverage the the virtual platforms to, to get the message out as well. So we're trying to, to shift our focus uh, to more outside asset generation. And I think we're in a good spot to do that.
6: Yeah. So Jim, let me follow up on that quickly. Um, you, you mentioned new asset growth a few times, which uh, is impressive in a pandemic environment. So give us your thoughts on what you attribute that to, Especially, and 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 this should be said, especially since you have responsibility on the retail side of the bank as well, right? Um, and you know, do you see the, the the departments of the bank working better together to increase investment assets, or are there other factors? So, what are your thoughts there?
2: Yeah, Scott, thanks. Uh, it's a great question. So, uh, I'd say a few things are are lined up for us, or maybe have changed in the last couple months. Um, you know, like most traditional bank programs, you know, we would take the maturing CD and, and refer that over to a to an advisor for a fixed or variable annuity, and that was it. It was set and done, and never looked at again. So we challenged the teams uh, to go back to dig in with those customers to, to reconnect, you know, to gather those other assets. Um, we found that, you know, through the dialogues of the downtime, we've taken that opportunity to do out outbound research, uh, outbound, you know, uh, calling with our customers, and found out that they have two or three different four hundred and one k plans sitting from previous employers that they have. Uh, five twenty nine and and uh, other investments sitting in the bank has not been their primary advisor relationship so we've been able to you know work with the teams in the branch to identify those low-hanging fruit if you will to to deepen those relationships with the advisors and then conversely we've worked with the advisors to go back to their single service clients and you know try to deepen those relationships and one of the things that we've Really worked hard on is is to get a full blown you know comprehensive financial plan done for for all of our all of our clients in the program, and we feel that that you know deeper dive that that value add that we give to them really does uncover additional assets and uh, you know helps people plan plan for the future. So it's been a it's been an effort on multi fronts, uh, but it, it seems like it's really working well for us.
6: Yeah, no, that's great. And I know you partner with Ameriprise as your broker-dealer, and they're very planning focused, so that that must have helped. You know, what's interesting is we hear uh, over and over again through these podcast discussions that um, there are, and I'm going to simplify this, but two types of advisors out there um, related to how they reacted to the pandemic. You know, there's the deer in the headlights. They're not quite sure what to do next. And, and then the others that, em- that embraced it and said, all right, well, this is giving me new ways to do business. And the ones that are proactive in their outreach to their clients are gathering assets because a lot of other advisors and, you know, we know that most people have more than one advisors, right? So, a lot of people, their other advisors are not reaching out. So, also on the ones that do reach out and the ones that say, all right, let's put a plan in place, um, the ones that realize that there's heightened awareness of the need for financial planning during a pandemic, you know that outreach has really been successful in gathering assets. So you know, good for you guys to, for for realizing that and and executing on it. And congratulations on you know good good new asset uh, growth. Thank you. So so Jim Nongard, we've had these types of discussions before. Yeah. Too, so I'm curious to hear your perspective. Sure, um, a lot of the same comments
0: that uh, Jim and uh, Jonathan mentioned. Uh, We're mirrored here at Regions. uh, I think uh, been a little fortunate being in the southeast Um, during this time. It's been more of an open uh, economy. We also had uh, our bank very quickly uh, put some um, pretty strict protocols in in terms of branch coverage. We didn't really shut down Uh, maybe a couple weeks last April and May. Uh, where uh, we weren't allowed in the branches. So you know, when you start looking at trend watches, everybody's got a, a, you know a great last January February, March. When we compare this second quarter to last year's second quarter, I'm, I'm kind of going to do an eye roll because you know it, it was so you know April, May, and June were were down. They did climb back up, but this year the percentage numbers are going to be you know great. It's like going from one to two. That's you know the yeah. percentage on that's awesome. But I expect the second quarter to continue to trend. Our first quarter was was a record. Uh, Business was very good. Uh, We're fully open, Uh, have been fully open since last summer. Uh, Our advisors uh, and bankers have stepped up, did a great job with our customers. Customers wanted to come in and meet with their advisors. I would say a few things happened. Um, One, the bank. Allowed the customers in by appointment, allowed our financial advisors in because the customers uh, wanted to speak to their advisor. Uh, as it's going on right now, they're, um, the customers are, are, are flush with cash right now. They've saved a lot of money. I'll tell you, Scott, last week uh, was our PGA tournament in Birmingham, the region's tradition. And we thought it was going to get canceled. But about eight weeks before that, the PGA said, no, we're going to have this event. We're going to allow spectators. So um, believe it or not, we had our tournament, we had full attendance, pro-ams and all that stuff were sold out. People wanted to come out. The the punchline there is that the night before, um, we had some vendors in town and you know that was the first time some of those folks had ever been on a plane since last March, but they wanted to see if we'd get some advisors out to go to dinner. So we went to a steakhouse and we had 16 folks there. And that was really my opportunity to really find out what's going on out there. Um, you know, sometimes you get a lot of smoke blown at you when you, when you head up the the program from all angles, but I had a good opportunity to sit down with some really good financial advisors and ask them what's, what it's been like, what's going on, what are customers telling you? And it's, it's really kind of what Jim was just saying. They, they want a plan. Uh, they wanted to speak to their advisor. They've saved a lot of money personally. And uh, they're ready to put it to work. They're happy that the election is over. Um, you know, not saying anybody was you know how it went or who they voted for or anything like that. They're just happy that that uncertainty was over. And they're um, they were looking at the market and they, they want to invest. And Sotera uh, introduced the AdviceWorks platform uh, a while back, and our FAs have adopted that. And that's really a, a great uh, platform. It's planning allows our FA to interact with a client. Um, online. They can put in their goals, aspirations, risk tolerance, all that. But they can also aggregate accounts from outside. And that's where we're finding uh, a good bit of business that has really propelled our growth this year. In addition to that, we rolled out our own CRM through Salesforce. And by loading in customers in the bank that do not have an investment account and putting those opportunities, whether they be a CD maturity or a high balance savings account or a checking account, uh, pushing those leads out to financial advisors has made a big difference versus um, giving them a lead list and hope they call it. It actually is very interactive. It pushes out a lead. This customer has a CD come and do or this customer's got $55,000 sitting in a savings account at one basis point. Um, and then also, you know, we've been at this for a long time. And with a large platform business that we had, Unfortunately, in the consumer bank, a lot of those licensed bankers turn over every 25 to 30%. So there was a a, a large book of um, platform sold fixed annuities that have come out of Surrender. So we're loading those into into, uh, the Salesforce tool. It's called Regions Bridge. So FAs are getting leads of a fixed annuity that's out of Surrender getting a 50 basis point minimum guarantee or a 1% minimum guarantee. And oh, by the way, here it is. Here's the phone number. This is the branch they did it in. Uh, you might want to just call them and see where they stand. And it's it's really propelled us um, to great growth right now. And I expect this will be fueled throughout the year and into, um, you know, we're doing our strategic plan now for the next three years. and We feel really confident that we're going to be able to continue to propel this growth.
6: Yeah. Yeah, Jim, you just touched on some really important things there. There are a couple of things so let me let me just highlight a few things. One is account aggregation. As we all know, these account aggregation tools have been out for what, 15 years now, and they've barely been used. And all of a sudden, right? The smart advisors are starting to leverage it and what's beautiful about that is that, you know, we as a channel have been guilty of looking at I'll speak generally, but looking at client segmentation from the standpoint of current AUM, which is exactly the wrong way to do it, right? You have to look at it from the sides of the opportunity. You have to look at it from investable assets, not what you're currently managing, because most of our advisors aren't managing the majority of their clients' assets. They should be, they want to be. If they get deeper with the right segment, they will be, right? Yeah, yeah. But the account aggregation is beautiful because then it gives you the big picture. You see what the opportunity is. I know advisors on a daily basis are getting shocked by yep. the assets yep. they're uncovering when they're using account aggregation. They're like, whoa, I didn't know. So, this. You know, My little old lady had I, $3 million, right? I can,
0: give, I can give you a real example I heard about at this dinner last week at the, at the golf tournament. One of the financial advisors, got. Had a, out of surrender, notice on a five thousand uh, dollar fixed annuity that a licensed banker sold uh, five years ago. Yeah, and you know everybody wants more zeros in an account, right? But you know what? This guy he picked up the phone and said, "You know, I'm going to call this person five thousand. It's probably worth six thousand now, but it's it's business. Let me see what the customer uh, wants to do." And had a great conversation. The customer was happy they got the call. They came in renewed that annuity but through conversation he could tell that this customer had other assets and just started to do discovery and the customer told him a few things and um they talked about it and they ended up leaving and said hey we'll have another appointment well the FA sent an email to the customer with a link to the adviceworks platform uh, which is financial planning and that hooked and i mean within 3 days the customer had filled out the majority of of the information and it's not just Brokerage accounts. You can link bank accounts. You can link credit cards. You can do all sorts of things. You can link to it. Come to find out, the customer had four hundred fifty-five thousand dollars sitting over at Morgan Stanley and hadn't heard from the financial advisor since the pandemic. Bingo. And next thing you know, they're sitting down and they're doing an Acat. And um, and and oh, by the way, when they had their meeting, the customer never told them about that account, but <laughs> they put it in, they put it into the aggregation tool because they wanted to see their score. You know, it's a yeah. a meter score. Yeah so, yeah, it was it's pretty cool. It, it definitely works.
6: Well, yeah. And if, if that advisor never called by about that $5,000 well, CD, that never would have happened. And if the advisor didn't do a good job engendering trust with that client, that client yeah. never would have put all that in the account. No. account
0: and, you know, the other thing is, is probably a year ago or maybe two years ago, the client may not have done it because they're at work. And uh, this way, the customer was actually like a 55-year-old person. Uh, he actually was working remote home. So he had time to actually go in and do it. Yeah. And uh, had fun with it. It was pretty cool.
6: Yeah, that is very cool. That's a, that's a great story. So, so the other thing that you touched on uh, that, I, that I feel the need to highlight is the way you're using your CRM tool. So the, the concept that we haven't focused on enough in our channel, but now is getting attention is what I'll call the next best action, right? Alerting advisors to the next best action with their, in their current book of business with clients in their current book, you know, based on essentially data mining, right? right? And so, Jim, that's that's what you have launched into with those alerts that you're talking about. What is right. the next best action? And that's a good proactive yep. way of keeping advisors on the right tasks, right? Yep.
0: Yep. And, and pushing it out to them makes all the difference in the world.
6: Oh, huge. <laughs> and yeah, just yeah. putting
0: it on their screen every morning, they can go there and, and see it. Yep. It, that's good stuff. Much more proactive.
6: Yeah. yeah. So good for you guys for, for doing some interesting stuff with your strategic initiative. So, th- thank you. Well, for that. And,
0: and, you know, the tools help. Uh, you know, yeah. um, there's there's a lot of tools. RightBridge, uh, Riskalyze is uh, more of our advisors are are jumping on that uh, risk management tool. There's There's just so many more tools now to be successful.
6: Agreed. And it's important. Well, let's let's uh, shift gears slightly, Bob. I want to hand it back over to you because um, I know one of the things that we wanted to talk about is, is is branch traffic and how that's going to affect things going forward. So take it take it away, Bob.
7: Uh, thanks, Scott. And actually, um, I think we're going to start with Jim on this because it seems that the Southeast is ahead of the curve, but our listeners are all over the country. And you know we're hearing in the industry that things are trending back to normal. And you obviously mentioned that things really didn't close down all that much um, in, your, uh, in your geography. Customers haven't, have already been coming back. Are you expecting any change in the overall branch traffic as things go back to normal? Are clients coming back? Completely, are they going to want to do some stuff virtually? And yeah. do you have a formal plan post COVID? You know, for the balance um,
0: of the year. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, you know, I don't know if I would say that um, things are back to normal. You know, if you go back and look at the middle of last March, I don't know that we're back to normal. But uh, without getting into politics and things, uh, the governors in the southeast seem to have been, uh, you know, a little more adaptable, or at least more. Open to the idea of more open uh, in the economies, um, you know, we were very we were very fortunate to do that. And then we also were very fortunate that our advisors were willing to put themselves at risk to take care of their customers. You know, they threw on their masks and sanitized and followed the rules and got behind plexiglass. And one, obviously, they wanted to take care of the customers, but also take care of their families. So um, that traffic continued. Uh, I, you know, I think when big decisions like investments, retirements, insurance, buying a house, um, people want a throat to choke, you know, if, if something goes wrong. And, uh, you know, I've said that before. So uh, I think when they're talking about their money, they, they like to see somebody, they like to see where they're getting their advice. And if something goes wrong, they want to be able to get, get to somebody and say, hey, what's going on? So as far as traffic goes, you know, we've all heard the statistics about branch closings and the traffic is down, everybody's going digital and mobile, and Regions is doing the same thing. I mean, our, the, the online, the mobile section is growing faster than any, any segment of the bank. But when it comes to investing, don't uh, interact online, instant, you know, instant messaging, things like that. When it actually comes down to making the investment... They, we're not seeing a, a slow in traffic. In fact, our referrals maybe are a little bit off. But frankly, the staffing model has been a little, um, you know, skinny down during the pandemic. Uh, we're still getting a good amount of referrals. Our consumer bank is very supportive. Our private wealth team is very supportive. So we, we just don't rely on that traffic coming in the front door. We, we have our partners, you know, small business lenders, private wealth advisors, branch bankers, Um, They're continuing to look for those opportunities. They continue to do the teleconsulting calls. And then proactively, our plan is to continue with pushing out advice works and pushing out uh, the region's bridge uh, Salesforce tool to, to generate that activity. Um, I do think that there'll probably be more branch closings. Uh, We also have several branch openings that are coming planned in the next three years in you know, really key markets. So uh, as far as a post, COVID plan. Um, we just stick with a, our, our overall strategic plan and uh, nothing specific, as we would say, as it relates to coming back from the pandemic. We, we feel like we're back from it. You know, We're going to be a little less um, reactive for people coming in the door and a little more proactive uh, on the data that we already have.
7: Well, each episode, we always think of what is the best quote. And so far, it's you with throat to choke. <laughs> <laughs> but let me go back to the mobile growing faster. Is that also true in the investment services uh, area of the bank as well?
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep, definitely. And uh, we're uh, we're looking at a digital advisor, just like uh, a lot of our other counterparts are. And that will you know be directly through online and mobile uh, in the initial stages. So we found uh, hundreds of millions of dollars leaving our bank accounts and going to Robinhood. Uh, going to uh, betterment, and uh, we can see those regular transactions, and uh, we know that our customers have an appetite. In fact, there are millions of transactions last year. Wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to give you the specifics because they blow your mind, but I don't know if I can release those. And, and, and here's the other thing. Here's huh. what's interesting, and uh, you know how your data mine, you data mine—you can find just about anything out. Uh, I'm sure everybody would raise their hand and say, "Oh, it's young millennials, right?" we are surprised. The, the, the largest segment of people sending to a digital advisor out of our bank accounts was between 41 and 50 years old. Wow. Yeah.
7: Amazing. So, I always but, uh, remember my dad had had an ATM card before I did, um, many, <laughs> many years ago in his 40s. So it's amazing. And he still uses it today at 85 Jonathan Allen, West Coast, what's going on on the West Coast regarding this uh, from a geography perspective? We're hearing things are getting back to normal. Uh, what's your take on it?
1: Yeah, we use the term new normal, right? And our new normal is um, going to be different, right? And uh, you know, I think Jim touched on um, some of the technology initiatives that his organization is going through, and we're doing the same. So we've sort of revisited our three-year technology roadmap, uh, which includes a lot of Uh, technology investments in the way of innovation, including introducing a uh, contact management system, which we had not previously had. There was a core system that was being used throughout the credit union. And then, of course, within the broker-dealer, the platform that we use known as UNIO through CUSA Financial Services and Atria, which has been highly effective. I think what's really happened is advisor behavior has really changed. Right, Uh, Our ability to communicate with members uh, virtually, primarily through Zoom and other sources, and really, what's been accelerated is uh, just the ability to transact business digitally through things like Firelight and LaserWrap, and obviously DocuSign. and And it, it takes a, a pandemic to to really change behavior, and that's clearly what happened last year. And I think we're seeing overall improvement in just uh, workflow as well. So, as it relates to kind of reentry. Um, we have a what we call a voluntary reentry that's happening on July 1st. Uh, so, for those that feel comfortable to come back into the offices, keep in mind about two thirds of our advisors have been coming in at least a day or two a week. Um, and then we'll continue to support that in a voluntary fashion in July. And then we have what we call a mandatory reentry occurring in October. And so, that's also consistent with some of the cities and local governments uh, because you could go 100 miles away and and uh, some of the uh, expectations and limitations around gatherings may change. Um, Southern California is that diverse, and some of the counties have different uh, uh, different views on that. So we're having to respond to that since we're, we're represented in seven counties throughout Southern California. So, But we're excited to see everybody come back full-time come October you you
7: mentioned accelerated behaviors with technology and um and how that has really changed uh, how we do business do
1: you think those behaviors are going to stick i do i um you know we we have 3 of our 18 advisors are hub based and uh, although we'd love to see more, we're starting to see a little bit of an appetite from some of our traditional branch-based advisors that are now considering moving to that second floor in the hub. We refer to them as wealth advisors, somewhat work your own book. Um, and most firms have a program uh, similar to ours. And, and I think that we'll see another couple of advisors over the next 12 to 18 months um, make that leap and uh, say, you know, I've been able to function over the last 12 months somewhat independent, not as reliant upon branch referrals and and branch traffic. And I think I could do this full-time. We create some additional incentives for those advisors that do leave the branches and and become uh, hub-based. And it gives us an opportunity to backfill those positions. So I I, I think that will continue. Uh, It's been amazing, Bob, to see the transformation of some of the advisors. You know, Scott kind of put them in two different camps. And I would say within our organization, we've had Some advisors that have been reluctant to embrace technology, and then others have been very tech forward, and uh, and I think that's that's shown in terms of evaluating their overall productivity compared to last year. So uh, that trend's not going away.
7: Absolutely, that is the silver lining in this whole uh, COVID pandemic situation. Let's go to Pennsylvania, Jim. What's the deal? I know you mentioned before that it looks like Ju- June 1st, things will be getting back to
2: normal at ESSA. Right. That's our that's our plan. And uh, we've been um, a little bit of a unique situation here in Pennsylvania where uh, we've been very conservative in our approach with the pandemic. And uh, we've had, you know, limited service, uh, you know, by appointment only uh Transactions in our branches. The drive-throughs have been open, but we've limited lobby traffic to, uh, you know, to as needed, as, a, as an appointment only. And with that, we've, uh, you know, done a lot of work, uh, primarily in the retail bank, with you know, increasing uh, e-services adoption, utilization, uh, continued utilization of those products and services. And like many have said, we've had a huge, uh, huge jump in, in usage and adoption over the last 12 months or so. So, as we planned for June one, you know, we've had a lot of discussion as to what that looks like. And uh, you know, like many others in the industry, I think we've we've taken a step and and paused and thought, well, now is the time to make any adjustments that might be necessary, right? So we're looking at branch hours. We're looking at branch uh, rationalization. does you know, the branches in in a, in a short distance of each other make sense any longer strategically. Um, so, you know, we've we've adjusted some hours, we've made some personnel changes as far as headcount and FTEs go. Um, we're actually at about eighty percent of the transaction volume through our buildings that we were, you know, pre March twenty. So, um, you know, we're we're having servicing the customers with a limited facility. Um, and yet our e-services adoption has increased dramatically. So I think as we move forward, um, we're going to be attuned to, you know, continuing the electronic adoption and, and utilization. That That's one of the, the primary directives. And then also, you know, rationalization of facilities, people, personnel, and, and resources. And uh, I think that uh, throughout this last, you know, 15 months or so, You know, one word for us has been resilience, right? For a lot of us. You know, people have been resilient, they've adapted, we've found ways to do business. Uh in many cases, we've done more business in 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 various lines of business than previous years. Uh so it can be done, it just has to be done differently. And I think that, you know, at our company, we're open to doing it differently and want to embrace that change and Feel that now is the time to, to jump off and maybe go in a little bit of a different direction. You know, it, it's a, it's a great space to be in for a community bank right now. Um, there's a lot of uh, market disruption going on with some of the bigger companies uh, in the area. And, you know, I think a lot of us are poised to to jump on that in the next six to nine, 12 months.
7: That's really that's really important because as, as Scott always says, there's six core needs to really meet the needs of all customers, including savings, credit, as you were just mentioning, um, income now, income later, protection, which we will get to. Trust me, we will get to protection and, of course, legacy. But with that, let me pass the baton over back to Scott.
6: Yeah. Th- thanks, Bob. Um, and I- let me make an observation about branch traffic. I-, I think we're guilty as a uh, distribution channel of, Uh, allowing our advisors to rely too much on branch traffic. So here's the reality, right? The reality is we have on average as a channel, a four to 5% penetration rate into the bank or credit union customer base. And that's just really bad. (laughs) Now, there are two ways of increasing that penetration rate. One is reactive and that's sitting in a branch and waiting for people to come in, right? And one is proactive, Realizing that there's huge opportunities within the client base of the organization, and being proactive in working with people inside the organization to generate referrals, whether it be loan managers, um, you know, other other staff in in the bank, business lenders, whatever it might whatever it might be. Um, Jim, there's, Jim N, a, there's you, a you third. refer to the uh, you know the internal partnerships, right? Yeah. That's key, right? Yeah. The best advisors out there are not relying on branch traffic anymore. Well we, can, well, we can easily see that because we see this whole trend towards, you know, second story advisors, wealth advisors, right? And they don't want anything to do with branch traffic because that's not the type of new business they want to add to their book anyway, right? So, that's where the puck is going. So, the typical advisor in a branch, one, we would we would draw out our advisor footprint by the number of branches. Well, that's obsolete, right? It doesn't really matter anymore, right? So, the, the best advisors that might still be branch based are not relying on branch traffic. And they don't care which way branch traffic is going. Cause that's not where their business is coming from. Right. And that's Look, the future I, of our advisor.
0: So I can tell, I can tell you the third one is less, less is more. Yes. I'm, I'm telling you, it's been, we can prove it. We statistically prove it and we can show that our top advisors have less branches, Absolutely. but in the bottom end, they want more branches and less is more. And when they have, yeah, good branches, but they have less of them to cover, less of a rotation. Covering five in a week, physically almost impossible to really penetrate. But if you have less, uh, you're going to penetrate that deposit base uh, way more. And you're not, maybe not get as many referrals or a call from the other branch, but you're going to work harder, much more proactively. And you're going to be able to, you know, you said segment your book, you're going to be able to go where you want to go and do what you want to do. And we've proven it. And our top advisors have have taken on to that. One of the things Jonathan mentioned was, you know, second story, or I call it non-branch line. Uh, We have not done that yet formally. Uh, We need to and really offer our FAs, uh, top FAs, particularly have large books, you know, 1800 customers. You physically can't do that. You're you're not doing a service to the customer or yourself. Maybe, Jonathan, I'll lob a call in. I'd love to hear hear what you're doing. I know... uh, John O'Leary over at Webster uh, touts that they have a good program. maybe I'll check that out but I, I think that's that's a second way but um, it, w- when you have an FA starting to ask for more branches you you, you know what you got there. Um, <laughs> yeah. when you have when you have an FA saying, hey man I can't cover this branch over here anymore and you can start adding in some advisors or they maybe want a junior partner or something like that. Then you know you've got somebody that's really taking the business serious. So,
6: so Jim, I, I got a, I got a, a, an email a week ago from somebody who just took over the management of a program in a, in a fairly, fairly small program, but you know, decent, decent size. Mm-hmm. And and the email was, Scott, I know you look at the data all the time. What is the optimum footprint for advisors relative to number of branches? How many? How many branches should should my best advisors have? And, and my response back literally was one word, zero. And he was confused. I'm like, Well, look at the most productive advisors in our channel right now. How many branches do they have? The answer is zero because they're not they're, they're not in the branches anymore. They don't want to be right. So I said, That's the way you want to be trending. Now, if you if you want to know what the interim step should be, I can give you some stats, but you should strive to have your advisors not want any branches because they're 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 they are then going to focus on the right segments of of the clients, and they're going to develop the right type of of business. You know, you'll always yeah. have. I think it's eventually going to be the case that the branches may be covered by associate advisors, or maybe uh, better yet, uh, the branches will have a uh, virtual meeting room where if somebody wants to meet with an advisor. The person in the branch will say, "Oh, well, let me bring you over to our virtual meeting room, and up on screen pops the advisor, and that's the way it works, right?" Yeah, our, our,
0: our top advisor is basically embedded herself in private wealth. You know, is Perfect. You know, she, gives, she covers branches and gets referrals from branches, but she's hooked up with a couple private wealth advisors and some small business folks, and uh, off they go. And uh, now it's getting a junior to come in and backfill the branches. It might end up being a. Uh, partnership somewhere down the road. When you see someone asking for, I got to have more branches to cover. I can almost guarantee you, you go look at that person's uh, U4 and they've probably been at five or six different banks before they get to you.
6: Yeah. Well, when somebody asks you that question, tell them you have another bank to refer them to.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Branches are key. They're, they're, they're really good. I mean, our branches refer, they, they like our folks. We've got a, a, a great support out of consumer uh, so I, I'm not you know, saying anything against our branches. They're, they're phenomenal. They built our company uh, yeah. off the branches. I'm just saying for top performing advisors that want a big practice and a big book of customers, uh, they have to ha- kind of get that independent mindset at some point down the road.
6: Well, the nice thing about branches, if an advisor uh, is working the branch properly, is not that that advisor is sitting back and waiting for people to walk into the branch, that advisor is working with people in the branch to get deeper roots into the organization. That's the That's beauty right. of branches, right? That's so right. That's right. To, got to keep the perspective right. All right. So let's do a, a quick lightning round. We'll keep this question really short. So the question is, what is your most important strategic initiative as you're looking at kind of the year ahead and into next year? What is your What do you think is your single most important strategic initiative um, as you're looking forward. And, and maybe Jim Ferry, you can start us off and then John and then Jim Nonengar, just kind of lightning round. Go ahead, Jim. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Uh, if
2: I had to say the biggest objective is going to be, you know, gathering of outside assets and then rebalancing the portfolio as to what those assets look like, right? We're a 50%, you know, fixed new variable annuity shop. We want to get that to, you know, 80-20 from a managed money perspective digging out those assets at other institutions, bringing them to ESSA and you know, really fully banking our customers.
6: That's a, that's a worthy strategic initiative and I wish you success, Jim. Thank you. All right, John. Uh, I would
1: say integration of technology,
6: and we want to get all those activities
1: that, uh, that Jim touched on um, in terms of CRM integration, partnership with the branches, and all that comes from an integrated technology solution. So Major priority, which will really free us up to do a lot of the blocking and tackling that have, has made us successful in the past.
6: Yeah, that technology is a differentiator these days. Cool. Yeah. All right. Jim in. All right. I, I can't just say one, but, I, you know,
0: technology, the same as Jonathan, two, uh, advisor productivity and three, uh, strengthening our partnership with, with our private wealth group. Um, as, as some of you may know, uh, Regions had a broker dealer, Morgan Keegan, and we divested it and sold it off to Raymond James. So that's where I came back in and rebuilt this. And just about every one of those private wealth customers, uh, we call it private banking customers at the time, had a brokerage account with Raymond James. Uh, so we are going back and rebuilding those relationships with private wealth. We have uh, uh, someone who heads that up right now is a great partner of mine, uh, Leslie Carter-Prawl. And we both have it uh, in our strategic plans and initiatives to to grow the partnerships and get more private wealth customers uh, hooked up with our financial advisors.
6: Yeah, cool. All right, good luck with that. And Bob, you had promised you were, uh, you were going to talk about the need to work with our clients to protect their assets. So go ahead, take it away. I know you have a question on that.
7: Absolutely. One of those six core needs is protection. And if uh, one thing has occurred during the pandemic, the importance of life insurance has become much more of a uh, focus. Actually, a recent Limerick study showed that 75 million Americans are more likely actually to buy life insurance now than ever before. So let's start out with Jim. Do you have any initiative or plans in your program to leverage this potential increase in demand? 75 million is a lot of people. And they're all going to be looking for it. So what? No,
0: no, this is going to make this. This is going to make you angry. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Mr. Life. This is not supposed to be a lightning round. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I agree with you a hundred percent for the need for protection. I started my first job in New York life. There's nothing more humble, humbling than delivering a death claim, uh, which I have done, uh, you know, protecting a life, protecting an income, protecting the ability for people to go to college, uh. protection from mom in case dad loses his life. All of that stuff It's just, it's like pushing a rope uphill. I promise you, I don't understand why we can't grow this business. Uh, We've tried with specialists. We've tried with, you know, incentives. Um, We still stick in that one to 2%. I will tell you, and no shock to anybody, our top advisors incorporate it in their practice. A lot of advisors never let it come across their lips because they're afraid of it or they don't know. Or let me see your eyes roll. Um, the insurance business is antiquated. I'm sorry, <laughs> it's too hard. That's the problem. It's, it's hard to write an app. It's hard to get paid. It's hard to get an f- attending physician statement and get it all done in six weeks. And until that really changes, where it can get, become more transactional, I think we're just going to always have trouble getting financial advisors talking about life insurance. I've tried. It's not one of my initiatives right now. I hope everybody sells it. I hope they cover it. I own life insurance. Um, Enough of my rant. But I I just... Sorry. I I know you wanted me to say.
7: That's okay. I'm going to help you out right now because we virtually have hundreds of listeners. Everyone call Jim with ideas. (laughs) (laughs) No, listen, his number is I
0: won't give out your number. We sell life insurance. (laughs) Our financial advisors sell a lot of single premium. I say a lot not comparable to to other investments, but uh, they'll do it. And then our licensed bankers, they have access to simple issue term. Uh, and you know the roll off of that. So I mean, we we sell life insurance, but uh, I would say uh, through AdviceWorks that um, in, in doing more financial planning through through MoneyGuide Pro, uh, more more advisors are incorporated into their practice. So it's not throwing everybody out under the bus. I'm just saying it's it's tough, and it's it's never anything anybody leads with. It's always something maybe after we get your investments, we might talk about might.
6: I have to put in a comment here, Bob. Go for it, Bob. I have to put in a comment here because there's two things. One, we did a podcast called "Fixing Life Insurance Sales." You should listen to that. There's some good okay. idea ideas in there. Uh, but you know, I, I, com- I completely, I completely understand what you're saying, and it's a it's a yeah. it's a huge obstacle. So one, two. The other irony is um, at noon today. So half an hour after we finish this recording, we're recording another podcast. Called servicing the protection need. So stay yeah. tuned. We may have some more ideas for you. <laughs> Look at, I mean, I,
0: I, I, I've, we've all probably known people personally in the last year that have died, and um, yeah. you know, healthy people, by the way, or at least we thought they're healthy. I lost a, a classmate uh, from college who's president of Saint Bonaventure University. He's on a respirator for three months. Left family, you know, all that stuff. Wow. It's the need is there. It definitely is there. I wish more advisors would talk about it
7: and 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 i, I wish it was and, easier for them <laughs> and and one more plug since this is a bisa um Got it. podcast the bisa's february edition of 2020's portfolio included an article that scott and i wrote uh, entitled why we suck at life insurance so <laughs> I, I don't think bisa would mind that plug right now let's move it to jonathan who i know has plans to increase life insurance sales
1: yeah we do bob and um you know, sort of taking an inventory of what we do well and where there's opportunity for improvement. Uh, this is in the uh, needs improvement category. So I, I took a, uh, Took a step back and said, I need to understand, do we have r- the right distribution strategy? Do we have the right partners? Um, Bob you and I and Scott have had discussions about that and how we could improve and to Jim's point you know we're we're doing worse than the industry average yet we're doing so well in all these other areas and I felt uh, this was a time for us to kind of regroup um planning's a big component to that and making sure that our um, our advisors are actively using Money Guide Pro because that tends to lead to uh, more permanent insurance discussions. Um, the other the other kind of leading indicator and we've talked about you, you mentioned some statistics around the number of people that are purchasing life insurance. I oversee a, a whole life and AD business very popular within the credit unions, Uh, that's a direct mail effort, that business has essentially doubled in the last 12 months. Um, Doubled in terms of uh, new members that are taking advantage of a whole life in AD&D offering, which tells me people are interested. Now, granted, they're opening their mail. Um, Some of this is done electronic and some of it is done via snail mail, but there clearly are people very interested in evaluating, uh, as a result of the pandemic, their own mortality. And I think it's important that we do provide that protection. And so, if we could get from one percent to two percent, or three or four percent of our total revenue, um, I think that would be fantastic. Um, it gets us ahead of perhaps where um, some of our industry uh, uh, partners are at. And so, um, I think we have a great opportunity to double from where we are on a low baseline. But um, yeah, we're 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 talking about it right now, and. I think a year from now, you're going to see tremendous uh, improvement in this area for us.
7: And we hope that that does work out. And we will be back to ask about that. But it's amazing, your direct marketing program. All you do is put it in front of somebody and they act. And I think that's the lesson for financial advisors as well. All you have to do is ask. It's not that hard of a question. So let's go to uh, Jim Ferry. Same question. What's the plan for life insurance now Mm -hmm. that 75 million Americans have said, give me a life?
2: Yeah. Thank you, Robert. Uh, our plans, uh, we don't have plans at this point. Uh, just echo some of the other comments. Uh, but it is something that we've been talking about, uh, talking about a lot more so in the uh, complete financial holistic health of our, our customers, right? And it, it's part of the puzzle. It's part of the the piece that people need to, to live their life in the full cycle. And, uh, you know, we talk about the value of insurance. You know, we, we I just mentioned we we're writing a lot of loans in the last 18 months. Well, you know, you're writing a mortgage and you're giving somebody 30 years worth of debt. You want to make sure that they can pay that debt if it capacity happens in the family, right? So, be it either in our own unit that people are getting life insurance or outside of it, people need life insurance and uh, they need that coverage and that protection. So, you know, we've had some early discussions about financial wellness in general, and life insurance and protection as part of that umbrella. And that is an initiative, you know, as far as financial wellness goes, that we are gonna undertake in the next six to 12 months. So it's a piece of the puzzle. Uh, we're not there yet. Certainly an acknowledged need, um, and, you know, we need to we need to get there, so. Um, Bob, I'll, I'll throw you yes. a bone. I'll throw okay.
0: you a bone for life insurance here. Okay. Uh, this is a true story. Um, at this um, club that I belong and I play golf at, one of the, the chefs at this club I belong to, um, he got bit by, a. a I don't know if everybody would know what a brown recluse spider is. Um, it's a very toxic, poisonous spider. It's mostly in the, in the south They're out in the deserts and whatnot. But uh, he got bit, but didn't know. If, if you get bit by him, you don't know you get bit by him. Uh, they don't sting or anything like that, really. But uh, you'll start to see your flesh rot pretty quick. Oh, gosh. Well, he didn't take care of it. He didn't know what it was. He thought he'd burn himself in the kitchen. Well, long story short, he developed, um, before he could get to a doctor, it developed sepsis, which I guess it gets in the blood. Long story short, 34-year-old guy died. Fortunately, he had, uh, well, unfortunately, he's a wife and he had a kid. Uh, um, but fortunately, he bought some life insurance and had some group insurance through the through the club, not a lot. Uh, but then I got to inquiring with the club manager. Hey, what happened? How's his wife family doing? Well, he, he had, you know, maybe $500,000 in insurance. And um, I got to, to meet the lady and uh, long story short, you know, who, you know, where she invested the money with her yeah. all state agent. Oh, Cause geez. the all state in the home Provided. and auto guy, yep. that's where they bought their life insurance. So guess who she called when the, you know, to do the death claim, it was the, uh, Allstate auto insurance agent. and next thing you know, he's putting her into some annuities and some mutual funds. and uh, You know, I just, I don't know, that that can happen in our branches all day. That every probably day.
2: rings more true than you know.
0: That's yeah, it sure true. does. Sure.
7: Okay, so that should get everyone off the dime with their life insurance programs in and of itself. Do you want them going back to Allstate or do you want them going back to Regions or to ESA, ESSA Bank? or to Westcom. I think, you know, the answer to that and all our listeners will agree. And again, everyone called Jim with some ideas on how to sell life insurance. Let's turn it over to Scott. Before we all begin. right.
6: I'm going to ask a wrap up question. We can do, we can do kind of a lightning round again on this one. Cause this, this one is about, um, you know, uh, looking forward and some of the trends we see where the puck may be going, that type of thing. Um, and it's on ESG investing, right? And, and that's just hitting the news more and more. And we're wondering what you guys think about um, the impact of it? Is, does it have legs? That is, does it not have legs? ESG stands for environmental, social and, and, and governance. It's, uh, it seems to have legs at least short term. What do you guys you know, what do you guys think uh, longer term? John, you want to give us your, your thoughts? then we'll pass the baton around. Sure. So um, when I joined the
1: organization about three and a half years ago, um, I saw an area of opportunity within our advisory space to create um, and leverage one of our existing partners for a proprietary unified managed account solution. Um, That was a flagship product at a prior institution. And I was a bit surprised that we had not Uh, created or supported a comprehensive UMA platform. Um, So I reached out to one of our partners in BestNet and asked them to work with us to create this proprietary solution, which we've now been able to roll out. Took us about a year or so. Um, That product is called Pathway. And uh, during the the initial build, uh, I'll call it, and due diligence uh, work that we were doing, um, I identified that ESG was gonna be an important component so I made that a, a, a criteria within the platform to search out ESG and what we call impact um, uh, managers. And I'm proud to say we have 67 solutions. I actually looked that up, 67 individual mutual fund ETF or fund strategist solutions within our unified managed account uh, platform. Now, it's not getting a lot of traction right now. We're getting some reverse inquiries for that. Um, but through some of the focus group studies that we were doing through our partnership at UCLA, it was very critical to me that we were responsive to that segment of the market. So, we're ready to go uh, as we see further implementation. So, um, pretty exciting. Um, You know, I wanted to make sure that we didn't go in after the fact and then try to bolt on something. So, we made that a, a a key component of our overall strategy when building out that, that custom UMA solution. So yeah, I think it's here to stay. And, um, and again, what we're, we're also seeing is the performance of these ESG and impact managers is, is now on par or better than some of the traditional uh, solutions that we've seen in the past. And that was a bit of the rub Uh, whether um, you had a manager that just said i'm not going to buy sin stocks or uh, some of the early managers that were embracing some esg principles um, the rub was that these managers were underperforming and i think that that's reverse course and you're seeing this as a a a trend that's here to stay
6: yeah uh, interesting the the um just i'll give a little plug here and i'll let the uh, i'll let uh jim and, and jim answer this as well but Uh, There's a company that Bob and I just started getting to know and maybe doing some work for called Your Stake, uh, Y o u r s t a k e, and they're all about um, ESG investing. And what they do is they provide a, uh, a, a very impressive technology tool that allows you to analyze your portfolio based on ESG criteria that you define to see what the impact of your portfolio is on you know whether it be the environment or diversity or other social issues, et cetera, and they have a really interesting interface to 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 be able to do that. So, and it's something that you know you can offer to your your clients, and they can do an assessment of their portfolio and their their investing strategies to see what the impact is um on things that they care about because it's it's completely customizable with a very in, intuitive interface so a little plug for for your stake that we're going to be doing uh perhaps some uh some some work with uh, maybe a podcast with but i thought i, I thought it was interesting I, again because it's corollary jonathan to what you what you just mentioned um so jim ferry wh- what about you is that on your radar it is. And, uh, we actually had a conversation within the last two months about it with
2: our advisors as part of a, you know, sales meeting, focus meeting about that channel of opportunity. And, uh, you know, Ameriprise has a, a pretty robust platform of offerings and, and it's out there it's available for our clients. If the advisor agrees that they want to drop into those segments, you know, certainly, um, we're sensitive to the needs of customers and their concerns about, you know, being socially responsible in the environment. Um, I think one of the concerns that, uh, that came up in some discussion was you know some of the data around uh, the performance of those companies coming back might be a little bit lagging. Uh, it might be part of a larger strategy with some other uh, other mix-ins to you know diversify risk. But uh, you know certainly we're we're open to it and we're in it and we offer it for our customers if they choose to go that way.
6: Yeah, uh, interesting. Um, yeah, I mean I think that part of the trick of ESG is that um, you know you got to avoid those companies that use it as a marketing label? What, what's the reality, right? And that's why I have a particular interest in this tool that I mentioned, because they can actually do a deep dive into portfolios and see whether or not the ESG is real. You know, the ESG label is is real. So that's, that's kind of interesting. All right. So Jim nonengard does ESG have more legs than life insurance for you? Um- yeah, um, you know, so so socially
0: responsible investing has been around for a while, right? It's not yeah. it's not new. Um, you know, there, there's been social responsibility funds that have that have existed and they gathered assets. Uh, it's uh, to Jonathan's uh, comments, You know, it's I think it's here to stay now. It was real interesting. You know, reading that report that I sent you the other day, the Federated Hermes um, report on it. What they say seventy five percent of advisors they polled. It mentioned that they were interested in, in hearing about it, but only 25% have actually talked to their clients about it. That tells me it's a notch above life insurance, but it, uh, it, it's, it's here to stay. Look, it, it's here. You can't, you, it, it's, it's on TV. It's real. Uh, it's important. But I, I, I think a lot of advisors, it'd be my, my gut, a lot of direct financial advisors will probably wait for the customer to bring it up. Uh, they may offer it up. Uh, we're we're building out portfolios and, and regions asset management. Satara has ESG investing, um, so it's there and it's available for the advisor to talk to the customer about it. if they ask about it. We certainly can can discuss it and have it. Um, I just think um, you know they have to be careful because you can you can wade into a political conversation real quick without knowing which way that customer leans, you, you could really excite them or you could defend them. Uh, it's yeah. just hard. It's just really hard to say. I think you just really have to know your customer and what their risk tolerance is and what their desires are and what they believe in. I just don't think that's on a first 15 minute conversation. I think it's knowing a customer over time and uh, you know seeing what they're about and kind of getting to really know them, and what their family's like, what their job's like, what they They believe if you have those kind of conversations in a relationship with your customer, you know, if they're they're, you know, into it or not or what they believe in or what they're what they're really what's important to them. So, yeah, but it's you're not going to run away from it. It's definitely here. I think everybody just needs to be prepared to have it. uh, Should a customer want it, need it, or uh, you'd like to like to uh, introduce them to
6: it. Well, what's interesting, um, Jim, and really it relates to what all three of you said, is that if if you if you think about from an advisor's perspective, right? If you think about the uh, what I'll call the discovery process and how it's morphing, um, this impacts now the discovery process if you're doing a good job because the discovery process now has to include questions like, you know, when you invest, are your priorities, you know, companies that build shareholder value that focus on business fundamentals, or do you you know, do, do you also consider other things that may be, you know, socially responsible? I mean, what what is what are the things that are priorities for you as you invest? Right. So, I mean, it's it, it potentially adds to the discovery questions that have to be asked. And you have to be very tactful because, like you said, Jim, you do not want to get into political discussion, but you just want to understand what's important to them. Right. Right. All right. So interesting stuff. Stay tuned. More to come on that, I'm, uh, I'm sure. But um, I believe that's a wrap. Um, Bob, let me turn it back to you for some closing comments. But, but, but thank, all, thank you, all three of you, for your contributions.
7: Absolutely. Well, thanks, Scott. Well, here we are again at the end of yet another BISA Trend Watch podcast. I'd like to, again, thank our panel, Jim Ferry. Jonathan Allen, and Jim Nonengard we appreciate your time. And also, thank you to Ameriprise and Chris Melton, who sponsors this series of BISA Trend Watch podcasts. Thanks also to Jack Capoletti of Status Partners and Bank Channel Research, our research guru, Jason Myers from BISA, and of course, Jeff Hartney for his help in organizing this month's podcast. Until next time, thank you for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this and our other podcast series, Untangling Fintech and Industry Leadership and Success. Thanks
6: again, everybody. Thank you all, bye.
3: Thank you for joining us for this episode of BISA Industry Trend Watch. And thanks to Ameriprise for their much appreciated support. We would also like to thank again, Jonathan Allen of Westcom, Jim Ferry of ESSA Bank and Trust, and Jim Nonengard of Regions Bank for sharing their insights. Finally, be sure to subscribe to our two other podcast series, Industry Leadership and Success, focused on industry-leading performance and success stories, and Untangling FinTech, aimed at helping you keep up with the evolution of technology offerings in our industry. Goodbye until next month.